You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. Today we're speaking with two veterans of the Canadian and global asset management scene, one with a legal background who works with a diverse fund management platform and specializes in working with family offices and institutional investors looking into alternative investments. The other has decades of experience in futures and other derivatives trading, regulatory submissions and rulemaking, and providing managed account platforms for significant institutional investors. They both give insights into how they are bridging the gap between emerging alternative managers and investors who can benefit from their compelling performance metrics. James Braun is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome. Today is Friday, April 24th. I'm James Brown with CASA. This is Alternative Thinking. Uh, today we have David Rudd with Sigma Sandbox and Paul Patterson with uh, Spartan Fund Management. Let's start with uh, self-intros and we'll uh, go on from there. Uh, what have you been doing for the last little while, Paul? Well, I've been uh, talking to a lot of investors. Obviously, this is a interesting time for um, for various strategies. Some some that are non-correlated are really going to show their mettle during a time like this. Also, at the same time, there has been some tremendous opportunities for some of our funds, given the uh, the, the, the price dislocations that some of them have been seeing in certain markets. Cool. Let, let's hear about uh, Spartan and uh, your history. You started off as a, as a lawyer, right? I had a brief and uh, peripatetic career as a securities lawyer, yes. And I want to state at the outset, uh, given my legal background, that anything I'm saying on this podcast is my opinion only and does not reflect the views necessarily of Spartan Fund Management, nor am I giving tax or accounting advice. Anyone who wants that should rely on a qualified outside professional. There you go. And what about Spartan? What, uh, like I've known uh, your boss, Gary, for quite a while. Um, but w- w- what exactly do you guys do there? How would you, how would you describe the, uh, the company and what it does? Spartan is an alternative investment firm. It's, it's real mandate is to be the go-to shop in Canada. If you're a family office or a corner office retail advisor, or just a high net worth individual who wants something unique, uncorrelated, um, a lot of our managers tend to have capacity constraints. A lot of them are hard to source. Uh, nothing we do is plain vanilla. We've got some interesting strategies in everything from merger ARB to cannabis to SPAC trading to life settlements. We've recently partnered with a very large global uh, quant fund as well. Um, our client base tends to be sort of half high net worth, half uh, retail advisor from coast to coast. We're running about one, $1.1 billion right now through in about probably a dozen or so different strategies. Wow, and um, so how are those strategies kind of set up in the in the from their structures? Are they mostly mutual funds or alternative mutual funds or traditional offering memorandum hedge funds or private equity? Like what what or is it all of the above? Like what, what do investors end up purchasing from uh, uh, from Spartan? There's a mix. A majority of our products are OM products available only to accredited investors. We do have a couple of mutual funds, uh, prospectus based that anyone can buy. 
we've also got at this point one private fund that's it's it's not an open-ended fund it, it raises money closes and then invests mm -hmm. the capital that would be the life settlement strategy right on and let's hear from uh david who's uh been in the industry for a little while and i think you've been more active maybe on the the sma uh platforms with uh that are a bit a bit bit different from from a fund but let, let's hear about your history uh dave right okay thank thanks um yeah, so I started up uh, Sigma Analysis with uh, Louis Seiko, a math professor, about 20 years ago. And the business model was originally to look at, uh, at hedge fund investing through a quantitative lens from an allocation process. Uh, and we got into the sort of managed account basis, managed account program, developing large SMA programs for a couple of very large institutional investors. And Sigma would allocate to um, individual hedge funds on a managed account basis and provide a really high level of transparency and operational uh, processes and compliance to the ultimate investor uh, through a single through these SMAs. Um, and that's that's an interesting business. And it always struck me that that SMA program is ideally suited to newer managers if an investor sort of is looking to allocate to i mean sees a, a new manager meets them likes the strategy likes everything about the manager but the manager is sort of operationally somewhat thin it seems that the sma is is clearly the way to go if the if you can develop a a an inexpensive process to to assess and watch that manager over time so that was basically Sigma's business model, typically allocated to, to very large managers with very chunky amounts. Uh, although we had a couple of programs that allocated smaller amounts, primarily to CTAs and to those that could use capital efficiently. Um, that business model has really become commoditized over the last few years. Um, and uh, my current main activity is with a group, a company called Sandbox Limited. And Sandbox Limited is its mission is really to provide a very inexpensive, um, very inexpensive um, risk management and portfolio uh, management uh, application uh, using data that's both uh, uh, ETFs, mutual funds, investment managers, et cetera, et cetera, and provide that online. And that process and that business model is just about complete and will be rolled out shortly. Wow, that's pretty cool. What do you find that investors are are looking for? Is it uh, like more toward diversi diversifying away from like the stuff that we've seen lately with the like with the COVID crisis and such market gyrations, or is it uh, returns, or is it? Uh, I think one of the concerns that they find is the operational side, which is probably why they why like these these separately managed accounts that they can they can watch over. But what what why do you think they they even look at alternatives? Well, it's uh, the, the lack of beta. Um, I, I think that anything that they can buy for five basis points, they want to buy for five basis points, whether it be a family office and certainly an institution, you know, that's the way they want to go. So being able to demonstrate a return profile and, and not just even a return profile, but a, but a business model that is intuitively going to generate a different style of different type of return. Uh, I mean, you just can't rely completely on the math. You have to kind of look at the business uh, and it does have a different set of risks. 
Uh, and I think they're looking for a different set of returns, but also they're looking for a different set of risks. Uh, <laughs> certainly, we've learned things do correlate in times of stress, but I, I, I think that's what institutions are looking for, is something you can't buy in an index. It's based to some extent on skill and intuition and knowledge of, of, of the manager. And uh, sometimes small managers, um, smaller emerging managers, have unique ideas. and they may not uh, be scalable as much as as a large uh, as a large manager, but nevertheless, um, it's an interesting business. It but it needs a little bit of attention on the part of the investor. Yeah, let's uh, let's take that back to Paul. Like you guys have, uh, he said twelve uh, twelve different types, twelve strategies on the Spartan platform, and all, like many many different different uh, different flavors. Um, but yeah, the the concern from investors sometimes is, hey, these ops like ops, ops diligence is a huge deal uh, because, well, I'll just say it like fifty percent of frauds they found was from an operations failure, and then people just kind of perpetuated it into being like a made off type of situation, perhaps not none of them that that colossally um, you know terrible. But um, so how does how does shop like Spartan or or really any fund manager get around that uh, with a small manager that doesn't have uh, like $20 million to, to throw around just on their operations and such. Well, and here I'm promoting what Spartan does and, and, and by extension, some other, other managers, uh, and, yes. and by extension, the Ontario securities commission. Yes. Um, a, a lot of people, when they go out and they want to start a hedge fund, they may have an outstanding track record money running money for some other institution, be it a pension fund or a prop desk or at another fund. Um, but when you go out and start a hedge fund, you're not just going out and starting running money. You're starting a business. Um, some people who are very good at running money as a portfolio manager may not be that great at running the day-to-day -day sort of block and tackle operations that are required to run a business. Um, a lot of managers aren't good at it or they don't have the resources to do it in-house. In, in that case, they can outsource it to a firm like Spartan. So what Spartan does is we, one of the things we do, we find managers that have a track record that we think is impressive, scalable. The manager passes a series of qualitative and quantitative tests. Um, and uh, if, if we like them and think it's something we can work with, they'll come aboard and become an employee of Spartan Fund Management. And we'll do everything for them except run the strategy. We'll do compliance, operations, sales, marketing, legal accounting, uh, either in-house or through outsourced blue chip service providers. And that that gives people um, confidence that if they're investing in a smaller manager, that they've got an institutional quality infrastructure. There's two real concerns when an investor looks at an emerging manager, which I'm going to define as, in Canada anyway, a strategy that's got less than a three-year track record and or less than 100 million in AUM. Um, there's going concern risk, i.e., can they raise enough money and produce enough fees to keep the business going and the lights on? And then there's operational risk, i.e., do they have quality service providers, be it auditors, be it legal advice, be it administrators, so that the business runs smoothly? Um, there is some concern, not entirely unjustified in some cases, that smaller managers don't really have um, sort of a blue chip sort of infrastructure. So if, if, if you have a great track record but don't want to deal with the operational or compliance or administrative aspect of running a business, uh, you can outsource it to someone like Spartan. There's also seeding platforms that are professional seeders. Uh, they will actually give you startup capital 
to, to run. Um, the downside there is that these seeders typically um, want very, very low fees and or a chunk of your equity. Um, a lot of people who think they've got something that they can scale are hesitant, it seems, to give out large chunks of, of equity. So, um, you know, managers should be realistic about what they're being offered. There are a very interesting number. There are a large number of interesting uh, strategies and financial arrangements between investors, potential investors, and smaller managers. And I've, I've certainly seen them from a, a bit of a distance, and it's an interesting conversation to have. But uh, there's not one size fits all when you bring an investor uh, into into the business. And uh, I think there are certainly a lot of um, institutions, certainly in the States and maybe less so in Canada, that are looking at what we would call carried interest of managers and seeing how they can participate. Usually these managers are a little bit more fully formed, but I think they may spend more time drilling down into a smaller manager strategy and trying to understand it. And trying to assess its its uh, how how both to, to assess its 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 robustness and to assess how they can help that manager grow as well. It's a very interesting business model. Yeah, I've come in contact with a few that have um, like they've done a lot of CD. It's funny; it's, it, it, many of them were in the states, and then they they kind of come up to into Canada and say, "Well, we'll take a look at some stuff up here." There's, I don't think there's been as many in Canada. There are platforms like Spartan and, and others within, uh, of course, within our membership. And they're, everybody has a bit of a different model. Like they're not taking equity typically, but you know, you know the economics might be a bit different. Um, and then we have quite a few. Uh, we'll have webinars coming up. I think it's in yeah, June and on our site for for our members. On uh, if you if you're going to do the whole get your actual company together and get do all the registrations, then it's uh, you know it's it's a fairly involved process. Um, that involves like three registrations and, you know, the securities commission, obviously, unless you're in purely in private equity, but um, yeah, let's uh, actually, yeah, Paul, you've, you must know a lot about that coming from, especially your legal side and the, the folks that you've been speaking with just on the ground and setting up funds. What's uh, what's kind of the process to put together a, a new fund if you're uh, coming in under the, the Ontario securities commission uh, regime? Well, you need to register under several categories. The most basic one is that you've got to register as a PM. Um, you also have to register as an investment funds manager. That allows you to operate a fund um, and do all the sort of operational aspects um, that uh, that a fund would entail. A lot of um, a lot of managers also uh, register as an exempt market dealer, which allows them to privately sell units of their fund. Um, you also need to have an administrator, um, a custodian, um, mm. you'll need a prime broker. There's sort of a web of service relationships that you need. Um, you can't do everything in-house. There's, um, you know, the banks and the custodians, and there's also sort of third-party uh, outsourced firms in compliance or administration that, that you can leverage as well. Um, they've got a lot of expertise, and it would be very dangerous for someone just to start in their garage with without sort of, you know, getting the assistance of a qualified lawyer, accountant, or fund administrator. So I certainly recommend that people talk to those parties. Um, and you'll probably want to start with, you know, friends and family capital and running a managed account. That's probably the easiest way to start a business. You don't need to be registered as an, an investment fund manager. You can just do it as a PM. But you still have to be registered, right? Can you just run, 
your friends and family's money without a registration? Like they're your friends, right? You can just do that, right? Uh, I would highly recommend getting a PM registration for that. Yes. And then, but with the, so with a platform like Spartan, like that, all that's taken care of. So the, the Canadian industry, when I started, I guess with associations in 2011, it was about 28 billion. And then it grew to maybe 33, like not a heck of a lot over seven years. And then with the liquid alts, it, it's grown now by, by 7 billion in the last, say, 18 to 24 months. So that's about a 20% growth. And that's in a kind of a, a bad market right now. Although not as bad for hedge, obviously, because it typically goes down less than than the uh, the broader markets of stocks and bonds. But um, so the problem was always the the distribution. You couldn't get out to the IROC brokers. You couldn't put something into the hands of retail investors. Now you can with this. It's a perspective-based mutual funds. Um, Paul, where do you think this is going uh, with the... Is it going to get a lot broader with with alternatives in everybody's hands? And then, if that's so, what what's the risk to to the investors and maybe to the to the funds themselves? Because some of them have only so much capacity they can uh, they can use to uh, you know, to run their strategy efficiently. Yeah, the liquid alts regime is a great one to come in because a lot of a lot of advisors and sort of the infrastructure around the advisor network. Um, don't want to deal with the reams and reams of paper that are generated if one's buying uh, an OM exempt market product. So the liquid alts strategy allows you to put stuff that's very, very much, a lot of hedge fund strategies will fit into a liquid, a liquid alts format. Not everything will, but it allows you to mm-hmm. uh, adopt all sorts of alternative strategies that can be bought. Um, I think the market's definitely going to grow. Um, of course, everything I say, um, depends on these products having uh, decent returns and you know fees not eating into performance, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I think you know there's a lot of people that would like to get into some of these less correlated or higher returning strategies, but really don't want to deal with the, the the headache they have around the OM regime, which which there's a lot of a, a lot of paperwork, like 30, 40 pages of signing documents. So I definitely think it's going to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, Having said that, not everything can fit into a liquid alts strategy. There are constraints on concentration types of securities, leverage, et cetera, et cetera. So some of the really esoteric stuff, some of the really illiquid stuff where you're really going to get some, you know, unique alpha uh, may not fit into a liquid alts. But for kind of, and I hesitate to use this word, uh, hedge fund beta type strategies, you know, say Mm. large cap equity, long short, it's a great it's a great format to, to uh, sort of expand the scope of what uh, retail advisors can do. And do you think an emerging manager can put one of those out? Like someone that has less than a hundred million or is it really just for the, the big boys? I mean, there's about a hundred funds out from 36 issuers now. So like I say about 7 billion, 7 point, no, maybe I think it's actually 7 billion um, here in March, March, April, like end of Q1. Um, yeah, they technically uh, how, they how could. How tough is it to get in that hole, sort of thing? That that, that pain in that hole. Technically, they could, but you've got to you've got to be realistic about um, the cost of doing so. Um, how fast do you think you can raise capital, and how scalable your strategy is? So, for mm. um, a liquid alts firm, your startup costs can be around thirty-five to fifty k. Your annualized fees can be mm. around. 100, 125, 150K, uh, depending on what provinces you're registered in. If you're in Quebec, you need a translator. That's about 20 to 30 grand a year. So, so technically, you can do it. You're going to need deep pockets. But if you can't get the strategy scaled, 
into something that's at least mm -hmm. 25, 30 or so, you're probably wasting your money. You might want to, you know, start smaller. And if you get momentum and think you can scale it, then you can move into the liquid alts format. There's kind of a convention in the industry that your fund expenses should be no more than 50 basis points. If you're a smaller fund, it is going to be more than that. Investors don't like that, and you're probably going to end up subsidizing that. So that's going to eat mm. into the amount of money that you make as well and is going to impact your ability to keep the lights on. So yes, if you've got something that's scalable and you've got deep pockets, as an emerging manager, you certainly can get into liquid alts. Uh, not for everybody, though. You, you might want to, you know talk to some industry professionals and, and, you know, be realistic about what your demand scalability, et cetera, et cetera, is going to be. It sounds like a real labor of love versus a way to make a lot of quick money here. A lot of people, a lot of people when they go into this business don't realize how long it's actually going to take. Um, you know, you see movies like the big short where, you know, people make all this money overnight and, and you read sort of facile journalistic accounts of, you know, people who got off a prop desk and Goldman, Sachs Asset Management gave them 500 million or something. And that may have happened pre-crisis, but certainly in Canada and certainly post-crisis, you're not seeing anything like that. You you probably should double the amount of time you think you're going to have to break even uh, when you're mm. run, run, running a fund. And certainly at Spartan, we find some guys, you know, this is all they've ever wanted to do and they've had fantastic success. Some guys after a few years of grinding out find that this, in fact, is, is, is not for them. So um, it's... It's, it's a little harder to do than a lot of people think. That's great. How about you, uh, Dave, on your side? Because uh, Paul mentioned, like, typically emerging managers is like three year, less than three years of track or $100 million worth of AUM. Uh, but I think you mentioned on a call with me earlier, like, something like $500 million or a billion. Like, what, what's an emerging manager in the, uh, I want to say the big boys, but, you know, the, the U.S. or in the, in the institutional realm, um, what... Uh, what kind of parameters do they have? And I think there's something in there about minority owned as such as well. It gets kind of kind of foggy. Well, can yeah. you maybe give us a primer on that? Well, I spend more time looking at, at sort of U.S. institutional investors. Um, the Canadians generally have a very big worldview. An emerging Canadian manager, Canadian hedge fund is thinking, well, I'm just going to walk up to one of these large institutions and and there's a chance they'll make an allocation. It's very, it's exceedingly difficult. Um but on the other hand, global institutions are in a global hunt for talent. When I chat with with the primarily U.S. pension plans and, and endowments and those institutional investors, uh, they're on the record as saying we are looking at emerging managers. You know, we need other sources of alpha. They quickly add that we want to do this through through a managed account. About a year ago, I did a little session with Alternative IQ. And I invited up a, a U.S. pension plan, and they were quite forthright. They said, this is what we're doing. We're investing in emerging managers. We're using managed accounts. And by the way, he said, our peers are doing it too. So the when I asked him, what is the definition of emerging manager? <laughs> it was very broad. It was uh, under $500 million, maybe higher than that, is an emerging manager. It isn't necessarily the um, – they just they – just, the firm is a year old or two years old, it was a size issue. And that's primarily because their normal allocations are to firms with, you know, 10 billion, 20 billion. And so, um, and it's very sort of consultant driven and the consultant sort of approves the, the investments and the consultants really did not want to spend the time assessing smaller managers on behalf of the institution, but the institutions do see that there's, there is alpha in these quote unquote smaller managers 
And the institution itself is is taking the bull by the horns, I think, and investigating further. So our interest at Sandbox is how do we advise these these U.S. institutions and others about these emerging managers in Canada? And they may be, we don't think of them as emerging. We think of them as fully formed. But um, I, I think a, a track record of a Canadian manager that's five to 10 years is, is, is very, very significant. Right. I, we do these uh, uh, career panels with, uh, with various schools and I have this little deck and I've, I'll show, you know, around the world, everybody, there's lots of small managers, but it's the, you know, you'll know this $5 million manager in, in Yorkville or something like that. And, but you, you didn't, you don't see the small one in Mayfair. You don't see the small one in, uh, in uh, Greenwich. You don't see it because you know, you're not there. Uh, all you see are the big ones that are 30 billion plus and you go, oh, there must be tons of large managers in London. Yeah, there are. There's also a lot of small ones. But if you compare Canada, because we probably don't have many over like 3 billion, um, probably no one. Uh, but so if you lop off the top, like the mega megas, like they go up to, I think, 170 billion some managers. Um, our stratum is very similar in the less than 100 million, 100 to 250, 250 to 5. Uh, half a billion to a billion and a billion plus. Like it's it's not that dissimilar for the rest of the world. And we would do these events where we take Canadian managers around the world and to various locations and put them in front of investors. Investors are like, I had no idea you guys even existed. What, you have rules there? People have to have their CFA? Wow, this is actually uh, pretty interesting. Um, and Paul, I know you've been on a few of those uh, with us. And what, uh, what what kind of like tips do you have for managers, uh, either Canadian or otherwise, that are emerging, and how do they get on people's radar? How do they um, how do they and when should they do it? Like we had one that came with us that did it was five million, and he said, "I got to start digging my well now." Um, but others want to wait until there's X dollars. Like, what, what, what do you think of that? And what are your your tips? It depends. First of all, it depends on the scalability of the strategy because. There's a home bias to a lot of Canadian managers. They're trading the Canadian market, and there's going to be market impact costs in scaling some of these funds. Um, maybe they're even if mm. they get as big as they can get, there will be of a size that an institution wouldn't actually look at them regardless of performance. So you've got to be cognizant of that. I would say for an emerging manager, certainly getting institutional money from a Canadian institution is very difficult. Um, the institutions tend to look at hedge funds globally. Certainly there's some large hedge fund investors here institutionally their ticket sizes tend to be very very large uh, 100 million is not unheard of and they can't be more than x usually five to ten percent of a fund so your chances of getting um, canadian institutional money as an emerging manager are almost nil um, some institutional investors throughout the world will have emerging manager programs certainly by all means um, right. Look at them. I, I liken it to if you're looking for a job, going to a headhunter. It's a great low risk way to get your name out there, but don't count on anything happening. Um, I would suggest uh, doing something closer to home. There's a couple of channels you can look at. The first is family offices. If a family's sufficiently rich, they won't deal with an advisor or even a private bank. They'll have their own office set up and they will have an in house investment committee. Um, they'll invest like an institution. There's some pretty good family office investors out there. They're hard to find. Um, but sort of there's a real 
you got to get over a hurdle to get into the, the advisor channel because you need demand. You've got product approval committee, and I'll, I'll go into that a bit later. With family offices, you don't have that. If they like what you do, they can give you money. The downside is that in contrast to brokers who have to place capital all the time, family offices do not. So that you can be sort of strung along for months and months and months. You know, they have investment committee meetings every quarter, and if something comes up, and you mm. would be on the agenda to be looked at, and something comes up, you can be punted six months a year down the road. They can also give you large tickets, and that's great, but the flip side is the money may not be sticky, and the large ticket could come in, the large ticket could come out. So that's one. Second of all, you might want to look at the Canadian retail market. Having said that, there's a bit of a chicken or egg issue there because you can't just sell your hedge fund to a retail advisor. You have to go through the bank's head office. The banks and dealers tend to have product approval committees, there's a fairly formal structure at some, less formal at others. The criterion for being considered is they want retail advisor interest, so you have to go and find that. You Maybe as a manager you have some broker advocates already, that's great, maybe you have to go find some. Um, a lot of product approval committees at banks, and this varies from institution to institution, want a certain level of AUM, they want a certain track record, uh, X number of years. So as an emerging manager, sometimes it's difficult to get on that, that's certainly something you want to keep looking at, though. Um, so that's kind of the more low-hanging fruit. Um, certainly, if you're very successful at raising money in that channel and get to a couple hundred million, sure, you'll have the resources to, to, to look and think about maybe some institutions. But my, my recommendation for someone who's got limited resources uh, is to get into that channel. Now, there's certainly a lot of challenges to that channel as well. It's probably the lowest of the low-hanging mm -hmm. fruit outside of friends and family money which you may have already. I guess the trick is just to, Paul, I guess really what you're saying is, you know, have external advocates for your, your business model and your, your fund. And uh, certainly a great advocate, as you said, is just retail advisors because they're the ones that can help you push this up for bank approval. Exactly. And I, I'm, I'm going to put my Spartan hat on a bit saying that it, it's not an unformidable challenge to get noticed by these banks. They demand certain levels of infrastructure. They demand certain due diligence. Uh, it's sometimes a daunting procedure to get through these product approval committees. If you're not familiar with it, um, outsourcing some of this to a third party might be a useful idea if this is something you're looking to do. Right, and I think that's the, the maybe the worst strategy, other than you know trying to get money from Hong Kong without a dollar behind you yet, is uh, is uh, trying to go after everything. You can do the retail, you can do direct high net worth, you can do family office, uh, multifamily office, institutional. Um, but uh, you know, if you try to do all five or whatever number that is, you know, it's it's, it's uh, you got to have a pretty huge pretty huge staff, and it's it's kind of different different wavelengths as well. One of the things that I think is really important is how do you differentiate yourself? Just how do you enunciate your strategy? When I've been on meetings, clearly the first conversation is, you know, why are you different? Why should you have my money? Um, what is unique about you? It's, it's an uncomfortable one because clearly there's only so many investment processes in the world. But and those that have unique and interesting ideas sometimes are a little reluctant to be too, too forthcoming. Um, but that is a very interesting question, and you you get asked it all the time. Tell me your secret sauce, and if I like it, maybe I'll do something. Yeah. So, David, what do you think? What would be your piece of advice for managers that are coming in? They're, they've come off the desk. They're going to set up their fund and start looking looking for clients. How 
what's your advice for maybe targeting their client base and and going at it initially, say for the first the first couple of years, um, and then you know after that if they get if they get successful, then they'll just get even more successful. But what, what those first couple of years? What's your what's your take on that? Well, um, I, I I don't have a lot except you've got to have a have a have a track record. I think most managers start off with a managed account somewhere, maybe a brokerage account, and then moves into uh, an account at, at one of the major Canadian banks. They begin to track it. Um, they can validate the return strategy um, or the return stream, rather. Um, but just get started. I think that's probably the big thing. Operationally, um, as Paul noted, it can quickly get very expensive if you want to have a fund operation. I don't think that's as important as as having a managed account and providing those altered investors with that sort of transparency you know they're going to want. Great. Maybe to you, Paul, in your experience, what would be the kind of the first thing if you were starting a fund, how would you go about your your marketing uh, or even just setting up with kind of your first, first piece of advice for managers? Well, I couldn't agree with David more strongly. Um, a managed account is certainly the cheapest way to get a strategy, and he's right that you need a track record um, at the outset. Um, the longer a track record you can demonstrate, the more credibility will you, you will have. So I, I'm in agreement with David. Um, not everything fits a managed account. There's certain restrictions on what you can and cannot do, and it's great that there are guys like David that can facilitate managed accounts in a way that some of the bank platforms couldn't. This, like the old real estate thing, location, 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 this business is, is largely about numbers, numbers, numbers. If you've got impressive numbers, um, especially ones that are non-correlated or unique, uh, you can do well in this business very well. Uh, but it's important to establish those numbers as soon as possible. So someone trying to you know, patch together brokerage statements has got far less credibility than someone who can show you a managed account. So I highly recommend what, what David had said. Um, couple of other things that I would note too is if your emerging manager setting something up, start documenting things um, as early as you can because you're going to get due diligence. And when that due diligence sheet comes, you're going to go, oh my God, I should have recorded this. I should have done this. I should have done that when I started this strategy. And you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to go through lots of stuff and compile it. So it's much easier when you've started your business to keep track of certain metrics and have certain, certain things going uh, so that you've got the, the the due diligence information that's going to be required at some point. And my plug for CASA, CASA is very good at helping emerging managers figure out what they need. Um, they're very good for best practices. It's important at the outset to uh, know what the best practices are. Um, I would also say be very, very realistic about, about um, how much money you can raise and how long it's going to take. You should probably half your, your proposed returns and double the length of time you think it's going to cost going to take to be a to be a going concern so you, you should be very realistic as an emerging manager about that and you should be very realistic about where you can raise money about your you know what skills you have and what skills you don't the extent you don't have those skills you need to find somebody who does have those skills um and and, and leverage them awesome thanks well this has been uh kind of like a, a podcast of platforms with Paul with Spartan. Uh, your platform, of course, is the operational and trading uh, infrastructure for hedge funds and for other, other private equity and, uh, or private investment funds to, to set up. And then uh, Sigma Sandbox and David Rudd, the uh, way to get the data, performance data out to folks, perhaps hundreds of institutional investors in the States. 
and I guess a few up here in Canada as well. So, uh, you know, if you put those two together, I mean, it's going to be a winning bet. So thank, thank you both. Uh, thanks for your time. And we'll hope to uh, get both of you on another podcast again sometime soon. Thank you, James. And thanks, Dave. It's, it's been my pleasure. Stay well. Goodbye and stay well.